have shown us the way. You have made a way where there was no way. And so, Father, we, we come before your throne of grace, not satisfied just to be sitting in the rows, not satisfied to just be going through the motions, Father. We want to be witnesses to your grace and to your glory. So, Father, in this moment, take the preached word. Remove all hindrances. Remove all distractions. Remove the messenger that the gospel of Jesus Christ may be heard in truth and in power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning, family. Um, I want to thank the choir again for blessing us. A, it is a gift that we have of music. And they prepare and they work behind the scenes and they do all this that we can hear their voices raised and enter into the presence of God. And so we thank them and the musicians for setting the table, for, for getting everything right for the people of God to hear a word. And so I pray that in this moment you begin to ask God to illuminate in your life whatever he wants to reveal. Whatever barriers may be standing in the way of what he wants to do in you and through you, in your jobs, in your schools, with your children, with your parents and your marriages, God is in the miracle business. And so as we continue this series on relationships, I pray for a breakthrough today. I pray for a new beginning today. I pray for a revelation of something you thought was impossible becomes possible in the hearing of God's word today. Amen? Amen. So I mentioned uh, that we began the series last week called Relationship Rehab because many of us are dealing with broken relationships. And this message uh, from the scripture that I'm going to return to in Titus in just a moment, I entitled it, Hate, Like, and Love. Hate, Like, and Love. And I wanted to begin by having us look at something that Titus gives us that may seem a little bit odd, But I think once we unpack it, we find that there's actually a challenge for each one of us in here in terms of how we are living in the relationships that God has allowed us to be in. Now, each one of these messages in this series talks about relationships broadly. So as we talk about hate, like, and love, I want to make sure that we're thinking outside the context of just romantic relationships. It's not just about marriages or couples getting engaged. All of us are involved in different kinds of relationships. And these kinds of things, I think, are particularly relevant. It may be relevant for you and your family. 
Maybe there's a, a brother or a sister or, or an, an estranged relationship in your family. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a co-worker. Maybe it's someone that's a, in your neighborhood that you have some tension with. We have, we have uh, all kinds of relationships that we're really in by choice. We can choose to engage. We can choose to disengage. And so that's where I think this message is going to talk about those optional kinds of relationships. If you are in a situation and you are hating or disliking your spouse, we need to talk separately after today. That's not the immediate context for this, but we have to think of the relationships because God wants to be a hallelujah praise in every relationship that we have. He's looking for ways to redeem, to to birth new life and new possibilities in every single encounter, every single conversation. He is constantly looking for us to be willing vehicles of his grace and love. And so I wanted us to look at look at Titus chapter three. Uh, And I want to look at verse number three. It says, at one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. That's how people were living. That's how Paul says he was living. And remember, these are religious folks he's probably talking about and talking to. Paul was very well established in the religious system. But when he looked back and reflected on it, he said, you know what? I was really caught up in this cycle of foolishness that I didn't realize I was in. But then he gets to verse four. Uh, Oh, I'm sorry. The next part of verse three. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Now, that seems kind of drastic. Hate is one of those words that we don't use a lot. We we would probably be hard pressed to, to run off a list of names of people that we hate. It's not common for us to go around saying we we hate people. That's a very strong word. But if you follow what Paul is saying, look at what he says in verse 3. He says, as I was walking around living this life by my passion, seeking my pleasure, it turns out I was deceived and disobedient and foolish. And the result of that is I lived in malice, envy. I was hated and I hated other people. So this hating thing is bigger than just the context that we normally think of. What that means is I, I dare say what Titus is telling us is that we are caught up in a cycle of living this life by our own wisdom, by our own values, by our own priorities. We are, in fact, hating other people. Because there's really two ways that we do. Either I love you or in Paul's context, I'm coming something short of that, which isn't too far of a slippery slope into really living in hatred towards you. That's a challenging thought. That I don't have to profess that I hate you to be treating you with hatred. As long as I'm living on autopilot, as long as I'm doing things the way I think they should be done, as long as I'm setting my life and priorities by the way the world is structured and just kind of going along with what the world is saying is values and priorities. And and you know what? Dog eat dog. I got to get mine. I got to get ahead. I got to do my own thing. If I'm living in that cycle of thinking, Paul said, I looked up and I caught myself hating my neighbor. Wow. But then something happened. Verse 4. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. 
See, once God shows up in here, he begins to reorganize and reprioritize and rearrange everything that we do, say, think, and act. And so once the kindness of God enters into my consciousness, once the love of God becomes uh, becomes a part of my life and my thinking, then I begin to look and act and talk and react to people the way God would. And all of a sudden, I found myself broken out of that cycle of envy and malice and jealousy and pettiness, gossip and hatred. God is trying to free every relationship that we have, even the ones with people that we don't like that much. Now, I'm going to come back to that in just a second. We have a choice to make. The question is, will we choose love? And if we choose love, Who do we choose it with? Well, I love my wife. She loves me. But this kind of love demands something bigger. Look what the gospel writer says. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even tax collectors and sinners know how to love somebody who loves them. There's no benefit in that. And he goes on to say, but love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back in return. That's a different kind of love than the word that we throw around. That means I am able to give this graciousness, this mercy, this kindness, and not expect to get anything back. I can love you and it's a one-way street and I don't put any demands on the love that you better give me back. That's not a normal form of love. That's certainly not what we see on sitcoms and bachelors and bachelorettes. It's not the kind of love that's written about by some of our love gurus nowadays. Somebody told me, I hope this isn't true. Somebody told me Keith Sweat has a book out. Is that right? That can't, that can't be right. That can't be right. That can't be right. <laughs> That's not the love that Titus and Paul and Jesus are talking about. It's a different kind of love, but we have to choose to know it, to accept it, and to walk into it. It's agape love. Now, if you're one of these Bible scholars, you know that the Greek has several words for this word love. But agape is unique. Every time God talks about the love from divine heaven that is poured down on sinners and fallen people and hurt people and broken people to lift us up when we don't have the strength to do it, to brush us off when we feel like the world has overwhelmed us, when we're cut off and alone, the kind of love that builds us up and redeems us back into the loving arms of the Father, that's agape love. It never runs out. It never has a bad day. It's never moody or conditional. It is pure love. Now, it seeks absolutely nothing in return. It seeks nothing in return. It's just free and available from our Heavenly Father. And it always has the purpose of creating and building up. Love builds. Love doesn't destroy. 
I said this a couple of years ago. If you're in a relationship and it's I'm questioning if it's a love relationship because designed it builds us up. Now we can get this human form of love. There's all these kind of romantic and self-serving kinds of love, but this kind of love that agape love is always looking to build, support the other person. I guess I should stay away from that. I keep it in a blank spot, don't I? Here's the other thing. This love redeems. It redeems. This love loves seeing people that are hurt and broken, that feel like they're at their end of their rope, and this love ties a knot and helps you climb back up. It redeems and reconciles and makes whole. And the other thing this love does, it always seeks and manifests peace. Real peace, lasting peace. Ephesians 2.14 is the word that tells us that Jesus Christ himself, he is our peace. We don't have to look for it. We can't manufacture it. I can't figure out how to find it in myself to generate it. What I do is I allow the peace that is divine to be in my heart and in my mind and my thoughts, and then the peace of God flows through me into my relationships. Now, don't miss this. I also want you to hear this because the same agape love that talks about God covering us and loving us and blessing us, that's the same word that he uses whenever he talks about us in relationship with one another. That means that in my relationships, I'm supposed to be demonstrating that agape love, that non-self-seeking love, that sacrificial love. That's the kind of love that I get from the Father and give out, not just in the relationships of the people I like, but in every relationship that I'm engaged in. Do you hear that? That's agape love, and it's available to every person who calls themselves a child of God. Now, actually, let me back up for a second. I don't want us to get caught up in this pie-in-the-sky idealism, that this agape love is some, something that we can think about and talk about and philosophize about, but it doesn't really exist. This love has the power to change this world. This is the most powerful force ever created is agape love. And let me give you an example. Years ago, the civil rights movement, one of the leaders of that was, of course, Martin Luther King. They had many pivotal moments, but this may have been the most pivotal moment in the entire movement. One night, relatively early on in the struggle, as things were starting to gain traction, as, as, as inroads were being made to tear down this long-lasting systemic evil of racism that had made second-class citizens, that had put people in marginalized situations. You had different laws, different standards, different, different uh, levels of respect. It was a horrible systemic evil, and God was trying to tear it down. But it came to the movement one night when Dr. King's house got bombed. Now, he wasn't on vacation. He was in the house. His wife was in the house. His kids were in the house. His house was bombed. And so this happens. The police come. The fire is there. They manage to get out safely. Everyone that was part of this movement comes and rallies around him. And they said, okay, you know what? Enough is enough. It's time to fight fire with fire. And at this pivotal moment, Dr. King walked out to his followers and he said, we will not respond with violence 
because hate begets hate, begets hate, begets hate. I would dare say that it wasn't the speeches, though they were wonderful. It wasn't the powerful words or the ability to motivate people. It wasn't just the right timing in the life of America. It was because Dr. King and those who were ahead of that movement had a hold of agape love. They had a hold of a love that said, we will use love to defeat hate and it will transform the reality of the world that we live in. There is a power in agape love that hate can't stand up against. And if you want to live a life that's powerful and transformative and changes you and changes your circumstances and changes the people around you, it comes from doing what Dr. King did. It's getting agape love in our hearts and allowing it to flow freely into our interactions with people. Love defeats hate. Now, Let me take it down a little bit, because most of us will not be on the front lines of a major movement that puts us in a life and death situation. Most of us, again, may be even struggling to think about people that we really would say that we hate, but we have people that we don't really like that much. Amen. You can all say it for you. You don't have to say it out loud. Amen. And I want to give you a little freedom here. You don't have to like everybody. Thank the Lord. I want to free you from that. You do not have to like everybody. It's people get on your nerves. Just rub you the wrong way. Talk to you the wrong way. Look at you the wrong way. They just, you don't like them. A couple of people out. Nobody in here, though. Nobody in here. Nobody in here. But the good news is God never commanded us to like everybody. He just commanded us to love everybody. Now, we get those two things a little confused sometimes. And we think we can put a little asterisk and I'm going to love everybody I like. But that's not what God really calls us to do. I want you to watch this little guy here. He, to me, encapsulates most of how we go through life thinking about this love everybody thing. Oh, so only when I give you cookies do you like me? Yeah. Oh, okay. I love you. I, I love you too, but uh, uh, I like you all the time. <sighs> oh, okay, thanks. <laughs> and isn't that how we live? I like you when you give me cookies. I like people who give me cookies. And cookies come in a lot of different forms. And if you give me some cookies, I'll give you some cookies. We'll get along great. But if I don't like your cookies, I just don't really want to be bothered with you too much. If I don't like your cookies, maybe I won't treat you very well because you don't have any purpose for me. Maybe if I don't see you as having any purpose, I don't really see you as all that valuable like you anyway. And I get caught up in this mindset of treating you conditionally based on how much I like you or not. Then I find myself living in malice and anger and envy and jealousy and gossip and deceit and I hate you. 
and I don't even know how I got there. I want to talk about our pet gorilla. Because if we're going to have this revitalization, if we're going to allow what, what, uh, what Titus said, that the kindness and love in God appeared and saved us, and then through the washing and renewal of the Holy Spirit, he poured out on us, then things became different. We got to talk about our gorilla. You know what your gorilla is? My gorilla? I don't have an attitude. It's just how I am. It's how God made me. He knows my heart. Yes, he does. But he wants to transform that heart. And he won't let us get away with just saying, that's just how I am. We have this 400-pound gorilla called our attitude that we take into every conversation every interaction, every relationship, every day, every moment of our lives. And my attitude more than anything else determines how this interaction is about to go. It's not some cosmic force outside that's making us that we're going to have a conflict every time. No, it's my attitude and your attitude. And the problem really is the reason I have an attitude that may not be great for our relationship is because I don't like you. I have no sentiment of affection towards you. We don't get along. But that's okay. Because God said, even though you don't like them, you can love them. Love is an act, don't miss this, an act of redemptive goodwill. That means even if I don't like you, I can act towards you in a way that is going to look for good things to happen to you, for good things to happen in our relationship. And if I think you're lost, hurt, broken, jacked up, I'm hoping for redemption in your life. And I'm going to act as a vehicle of the redemptive source that is Jesus Christ to allow his spirit to move through me and heal you. If I can just get my gorilla out of the way and not be dependent on how much I like you in order to love you. Does that make sense? So I want to talk about this attitude thing because the attitude is what we have to figure out how we can tame this gorilla in order to have a breakthrough in this area. I want to give you a quote. This is one of my favorite quotes. It's kind of long. Uh, You don't have to write it down. It's on the internet. Look for Charles Stanley and attitude, Chuck Swindoll and attitude. You'll find it. Listen to this. The longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than facts. It's more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failure, than successes. It's more important than what other people think or do or say. It's more important than appearances, giftedness, or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, a home. The remarkable thing is we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we will embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. But the only thing we can do is play on the one string we have, and that is our attitude. Here's the kicker. I am convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I respond to it. 
And so it is with you. You are in charge of your attitude. Powerful. Powerful. When I thought about that, there are so many things that I spend my energy trying to control that I have absolutely no possible way of controlling. And it burns me out. It gets me frustrated. I get tired. I get overwhelmed when the one thing I can control is not getting any of my airtime. I'm just letting my gorilla run rampant with a bad attitude. But we have the possibility to choose how we will respond to the things that come at us in this life. I want to give you a litmus test for agape love because the question is, are you allowing agape love, this power, this kindness, this compassion, this new reality that God ushered in, are you allowing this to enter into your relationships, your life, your day-to-day way of being? How do I live with agape love in a way that is beneficial to me and other people in my relationships? Because I say, if you will do these three things, I guarantee it will transform every relationship you're in. So these are the three uh, agape love litmus tests. Number one, demonstrate mercy. Demonstrate mercy. Now, there's a story from 1 Samuel 24 that I'm referring to there. It's an incredible story because it talks about mercy in an unusual context. But this is exactly what agape love does. There's these two guys. Most of us are familiar with these names, David and Saul. Saul is the old, bitter, angry king. He's on the way out. David is the new up-and-coming king, and he's the one that God and the people love. And Saul is angry, Saul is jealous, Saul is spiteful, Saul is going to kill this guy because, because of him, everything is messed up for Saul. And so he's out chasing him in the wilderness, he's tracking him down, he's got his army with him, David's got a little band of men, and he's trying to run away from him. And Saul ends up uh, with his army going into a, a cave, uh, unprotected, and so he's there, and he's got his back turned, and David ends up in that same cave. And David goes up to him cuts a little corner off of, his, off of his cloak, runs, and then goes far away and calls out to him, Father, this term of endearment, I got your cloth. Look what I could have done to you while your back was turned. Look how close I was to you when you were vulnerable. And I want you to see that I have not wronged you, that I had mercy upon you. Agape love demonstrates mercy even when you don't have to. See, that's the kicker. That's the kicker that there are times when our enemies, their guard is down. There are times when people who have out to get us, they lift a little vehicle and we can get them back. And if I sit around and I'm plotting how I can pay you back and how I'm going to watch you get what you deserve. Matter of fact, if I spend all my time thinking about what you drawing it up and thinking about what I'm going to do when it happens, and I'm sitting here wishing all the bad things. If I find myself rejoicing when bad things happen to people I don't like, I got to get back in touch with Jesus. I'm caught up in this horrible, destructive cycle. But agape love sees the opportunity. It knows this is my chance for payback, but it gives mercy even when the opportunity or death is there. And by the way, don't miss that because there's a lot of ways we kill people. Don't get caught up in just a mental image. 
We can kill people with our words. We can kill people with our actions. We can kill people with our looks. We can kill people by talking about them once they're not around. There's a lot of ways we can kill people. But agape love delivers mercy when those who we don't like are vulnerable. Number two, hold in high esteem. Now, this one's also kind of tough. Philippians 2 says um, that we are to think more highly of others, not, not, not to think too much of ourselves, and to treat others as if they were better than us. Now, that's tough, because I don't like you. I know I'm better than you are. If you were really better than me, then I would like you. So clearly, since I don't like you, you must not be better than me. But what we're missing is the point. Because God is not talking about some kind of hierarchy that he wants us to be living in. It's really not about who's got more status or clout or who's got more brownie points with our Heavenly Father. What he's talking about is that when I see you, I can't ever forget that you are precious to God. It doesn't matter how bad you are. It doesn't matter how many arguments we've had. It doesn't matter all the things that you've done that I didn't like or hurt me or wronged me. Every time I look at a person who's walking around, they are created in the image of God and he loves them. And so I have to not honor your actions or your thoughts or your deeds, but I have to honor the fact that the same God that loves me loves you. The same God who said I'm valuable says you're valuable. And I got to look past all the stuff. Now, it may take a little while. You might, you might wait a while before you start talking because you got you to sift through some stuff sometimes. But down inside every single person is a kernel of the Spirit of God that he says is precious. And if he thinks they're valuable, how dare we say they're not valuable? So the question is, do I have the tendency to look down on those who rub me the wrong way? Do I start to invalidate their feelings and their issues? Do I start to minimize their concerns and their thoughts? And, and you know what? Even, even if I don't like them, not everything they said is wrong. Sometimes they write. Sometimes I need to humble myself and look and seek out the God in every person that I know. And what would that do to my relationship is when I look at you, when I talk to you, when I listen to you, when I respond to you, I'm responding to the spirit of God that I know is in there. Number three, turn the cheek. Now, we don't like this one. I'm going to go tell you, we don't like this one. You already know what it is, and you prefer we didn't talk about it. But it's in the Bible. Jesus said it, and he meant it, that sometimes people are going to wrong us. Sometimes people are going to harm us. We will be attacked by people intentionally and uh, unintentionally. We will be hurt by those that we are connected to, and we don't have to pay them back every single time. Sometimes we can let God take care of the wrong stuff people do. Sometimes I don't have to sit and plot my revenge for how we going to get back even. You ever seen kids? What's that game, last hit? Kids be in the backseat just socking the mess out of each other, trying to get the last hit in. 
parents in the back and we mad because why don't you grow up and act mature? Why don't you just just stop playing and just let him get the last hit and leave it alone? And then we get let somebody cut us off in traffic. Uh, let, let somebody say something that we're offended by. Let, let somebody do something that, that thinks that, that, that embarrasses us or disrespects us, and we just have to get the last hit in. Like a five-year-old child. But God is saying, turn the other cheek. Matter of fact, you know how to make, it even says it in the Bible, you know how to make people that you don't like really mad? Be nice to them. Just love them to death. Just love them, love them, love them, love them. Love them. Love them. <laughs> Smile when they come in. Give them, tell them you're glad to see them. Give them a hug. Buy them lunch. Just love them. And they will be overwhelmed by it. And by the way, we, we have to make sure that we're not looking for payback, right? I'm not going to do this until you show me that you deserve it or until you start being nicer. It's that agape love. It just keeps giving. It comes from an endless supply. And so I can turn the other cheek. I don't have to feel like I have to prove myself or, or redeem myself because my God is redeeming me. I don't have to make sure that you know who I am because my God knows who I am. I don't need any other validation other than my heavenly father. And so I have an abundance of the love that he gave me that I got enough I can give you a little bit. Even if I don't like you. So all that being said, If we can do these three things, I guarantee it will transform our relationships. Because agape love changes things. Agape love shows people new possibilities. Agape love opens doors that our own sinfulness, our own anger, our own pettiness has closed. Agape love is a powerful force. I want to give you a picture of it. Many of us have heard this scripture, but, but think about it in, in, in the context of what we've been talking about today with the love that God is waiting to unleash in your life and change your relationships. 1 Corinthians 13, I'm just going to read a piece of it. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not evilly, easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. If you can run off the list of the last 10 things the person you don't like did, if you got a track record of how many times this person has wronged you and what they did, and if they do it one more time, what you're going to do, we got to let it go. And let agape love change us. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never. Agape love never fails. The question is not whether or not we have access to that source. God has promised once he came and sent his son Jesus, he demonstrated agape love and he made it available to everyone that calls on the name of Jesus. The question is not can we access it. The question is will we die to ourselves enough today to allow the love of God to fill in me and flow through me? And why would we do it? Why, why would we make that choice? Why would we make that sacrifice? 
as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples by our love for one another. Not because we decided it, not because anybody has earned it, not because we're trying hard enough to do it. We love others because our Father in heaven first loved us. So if we're going to live this out, we have a question to answer. Will I tap into it? Will I surrender my will and my priorities and my attitude to the one who can make things brand new? Will I be stuck in my cycle of malice and envy and jealousy and hatred? Or will I let it go and say yes to kindness? Say yes to grace. Say yes to mercy. Say yes to the Spirit of God and be who He called me to be.